0: All right, good morning. Um, So I, my mic, yes. See, there. Third time's a charm. Good morning. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So if you listen to our podcast this week, so I'm sure all of you do multiple times, um, take notes, all that stuff. Uh, I mentioned in the podcast that one of the thoughts I'd had after last week was that I really, uh, I I don't want either of these options, these offerings that that we're offering to kind of become, to to take priority over the other one. Like if we're going to honor and value those who are still choosing to worship online, I don't want them or or y'all who are doing that today to, to just feel like you're watching something that we're doing here. I also don't want those of us, who are here to kind of feel like we're just doing a live taping for something that's going to go online, and so how do we balance that? You know, I've, I've been thinking and thinking through that, and so this Friday, I did a video version of the sermon, kind of as we've talked about, that would be kind of maybe a little more geared exactly for online stuff like we have been doing. I did that on Friday, went well, our, all our new equipment, you know, was working well. I got back and got it onto my computer, and there was no sound, so... <laughs> uh, So if you're watching online, you're getting the live one from Sunday today, um, and I figured that that would be better than than maybe a little bit higher quality video with no sound. So so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, We're going to jump back into our series today, our I Am series. Uh, Chris, can you kick the lights on all the way, the house lights? Yeah. Are they on all the way? There we go. All right, thank you. Uh, we're jumping back into our, our I Am series today. And so we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus' statement, I am the door. So we're going to be in John 9 and 10. If you want to follow along in John 9 and 10, that's where we're going to be today. And, you know, thinking about doors this week, I got to thinking, I wonder how many, I wonder how many doors we walk through just on a daily basis. And, and I bet if we, if we counted it up one day, we would be surprised how many doors we go in and out of, even just without thinking about it. That, 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 I would guess oftentimes we're not even aware of how many doors we go in and out of. Uh, that is, until a door begins to present us with issues or problems or obstacles. Like the back door in our house right now it, it's gotten to where it won't latch usually the first time when you close it, so you have to pull it closed or, depending on your attitude, slam it closed several times before it will finally latch, um, and, and you kind of have to mess with it every time. And, and so I'm very aware of that door right now. I, I would guess that most of us, or maybe even all of us, have had, probably had that moment when when we're leaving the house or, or getting out of the car, and we realize just as the door slams shut that, that our keys are still inside, and, and, and now we're, we're stuck without a way to get wherever it is that we're wanting to go. And, and then in that moment, we become very aware that doors can, can represent not only access and invitation, but also barriers and obstacles and setbacks. And some of us have realized that truth in in deeper metaphorical ways when perhaps we have come to a door that we were told we couldn't enter through or we didn't have access to or or for some reason or another we simply felt like we were unable or unwilling to open. And so in John 10, Jesus starts talking about sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds or what we would think of as, as sheep pens. And it's where he refers to himself as the good shepherd, which is kind of imagery that we have latched onto. Uh, and it's kind of lasting imagery that we kind of have of Jesus. And we're going to get to that part of the chapter next week. But before that, in the same discussion of sheep, Jesus says that he is a door or a gate. And so as we begin to think about Jesus' words there and describing himself as, as a door or a gate. We're we're actually going to jump back to the preceding chapter, uh, to John nine, because Jesus's words in John ten are really in, in direct response to everything that happens in John nine. There's a continuation of of dialogue uh, there that's kind of broken up by the chapter divisions, but this is all part, it seems like, of the same scene. And so we're going to kind of do a, a quick stroll through John nine today. Uh, a lot of the scriptures are going to be on the screen, but if you want to follow along with us in your Bible, then you can, of course, do that as well. Uh, that chapter, one that is, is maybe familiar to many of us, begins with Jesus' disciples seeing a blind man and asking Jesus the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Blind. And so remember that question, because this man's sinfulness, or the perception of this man's sinfulness, really bookends everything that happens in this chapter. Uh, And so Jesus says, actually, it's neither. He says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so just think for a minute about how that interaction frames everything that happens in this chapter. Right? Like like Jesus and his disciples, they're they're walking along and, and they come up to this blind man, and the disciples see the blind man and they immediately see sin. Who's to blame for this, right? Someone, someone sinned. They see sin. Jesus sees the blind man and sees opportunity for kingdom work and movement. And so already in the story, I think we're invited to consider this question. When we see other people, what do we see? Uh, who do we see? When we see other people. And how does what we see shape the ways in which we respond to, engage with, and approach people in situations around us? And so in the story, Jesus then immediately gives sight to the blind man, which ignites at least two more hotly contested debates that run through the chapter. Uh, Initially, it sparks a debate about the identity of the man who was born blind. Because some people are convinced this has to be just someone else who simply looks like that guy. Because people who were born blind don't magically just gain the ability to see, right? (laughs) That's not something that happens every day. So surely this is somebody else. And then you have this other group of people who are like, no, I know the guy. That's him. And notably, that group includes the guy who was born blind, which you'd think he would know. But, you know, some people aren't taking his word for it, (laughs) And so this becomes a big topic of conversation around town. Is this the guy who was blind or is it someone else? And it becomes such a big to-do that the Pharisees themselves get involved. And they end up finding finding out how Jesus kind of went about doing this. And once they find out the how, they turn this into a conversation then about ammunition to use against Jesus. Because they simply now see this as just an example of Jesus working on the Sabbath. And, and anyone in their eyes who works on the Sabbath can't be from God. So this is just more ammunition for them that Jesus is a sinner because, in their words, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And so that's the argument that they're using to kind of prove that, in their minds, he's a sinner. But I think more broadly, what they're really saying is, this guy doesn't do things the way that we do them. And so he can't be from God. Uh, The Sabbath argument we might not can relate to that well, but I think the broader argument we can, right? They're doing things differently than we do, so surely that can't be of God, right? Because we've got this figured out. (laughs) I've got this figured out. And so now we've got like three or four conversations running simultaneously, uh, we started with a conversation around the idea that, that sin is responsible for physical ailments like blindness, and, and, and that kind of brings up some theological blind spots, pun intended, that, that that kind of idea brings about in someone's thinking. That quickly then gives way to an ongoing dispute about the identity of this man who claims to be the man who was born blind, which leads then to a conversation about Sabbath and about the identity of Jesus which is really a topic that runs throughout John's gospel. Right? Who is Jesus, and, and by what authority is he doing all of these things? That's kind of a, a conversation that undergirds a lot of what's happening in John. And so all of that then leads to the Pharisees sending for this man's parents, because we just have to get to the bottom of, of at least some of these conversations. <laughs> let's figure some of this stuff out. So the Pharisees are like, all right, let's get the guy's parents. But once they arrive on the scene, they are really only willing to to speak to their son's identity. That's it. They don't want to get involved in any of these other conversations. So they say, yeah, he's our son, but you know what? He's an adult. He's old enough to speak for himself. Uh, Just ask him about the rest. He's of age. Let him speak for himself. Uh, And just in case that answer doesn't, like, jump off the page and slap you as being overtly selfish and, and fearful... John takes time to explain it so that it is unmistakably clear. John says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided, like, don't miss that part, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Like, this isn't a fact-finding mission, (laughs) They're just, looking for, they're just looking for someone to come and back up their story. They're looking for validation of their point of view. They're, lo- they're not looking for reasons to believe in Jesus. They're looking for reasons to kill him. And this man's parents and everyone else in the community knows this. They know this is what the Pharisees are doing. And they know that if they go against the Pharisees, then a door is going to be closed on them. And, and to be kicked out of the synagogue was to not only be kicked out of the place of worship, it was to be kicked out of the place of social connection and community life. And, and so the parents know if we go against the Pharisees, this, this door of, of social engagement and worship and connection to everyone else around us is going to be shut on us. And so it may be worth press, uh, pressing pause here, I think, for a second so we can jump back to a prophecy in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, God comes to Ezekiel and and has Ezekiel prophesy against the shepherds of Israel because the shepherds, Israel's leaders, are far more concerned about taking care of themselves than they are of the needs of the sheep, which may sound familiar from our story this morning. They are decidedly not good shepherds, and so God says to them, "'You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured.'" You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. No one searched or looked for them. And so God says because of... Because of the selfishness and and the greed of of these shepherds of Israel, he says, My sheep, my people have been exposed. They've been left vulnerable. They've been scattered, and they've even been eaten by wild animals, which is very vivid imagery. And so, if you flash forward now back to Jesus' day, we find the religious leaders, those who are now in the role of, of shepherding Israel. We find that they too care nothing about the weak being strengthened or the sick being healed. Instead, they'd rather find fault in someone doing those things on the wrong day of the week. And so they fall very much in line with the shepherds of Ezekiel 34. The Pharisees' view of themselves then as shepherds turns into this belief that they can control who has access to the synagogue. And, and their role, their, their perceived place as shepherds turns into this, this kind of assumed and perceived role of gatekeeper. And they have assumed this authority to decide who gets to come in and who gets to go out, uh, who can be a part, and, and who we can exclude. And the parents of the man born blind are very aware of this, so much so that they are unwilling to corroborate their son's story Because that's just not a door that they want shut on them. Uh, But the man who had been born blind, he has a story to tell. And and it's really fascinating over the course of of this very short chapter. uh, And I think I've even preached before or done something in a class before about just, you can just look at, at this man's comments over the course of the chapter. And it's really interesting to look at the ways that that he kind of becomes more and more bold and more and more outspoken over the course of the chapter. Originally, he's like, hey, I don't know anything. You know, I just know I was blind and now I can see. By the end of the chapter, uh, he's going pretty hard after the Pharisees. And he's calling out their hypocrisy. He's calling out their foolishness and their thinly veiled attempts to attack Jesus to such an extent that he angers them so much that they end up kicking him out of the synagogue, which ironically is the very same fate that his parents were fearful of, right? And so now he's just going after them. They kick him out, and they kick him out with these words. They say, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And that question, or that statement, I should say, not only calls into mind the question that the disciples asked at the beginning Um, But it's a statement that is just dripping with so much arrogance and disdain that I don't really think it requires much other commentary than that. We'll just kind of let it stand on its own. But just imagine the arrogance of these guys who are, I mean, we know their motives. And so they can now look at this guy and say, how dare you lecture us? You were steeped in sin at birth. And they kick him out. And so it's in response to all of this, like all of these conversations are still kind of hanging in the air. The tension of everything that has happened is, is still very, very much around everyone and everything happening. That Jesus now starts talking to the Pharisees about sheep and sheepfolds and shepherds and doors. So here are The first few verses of John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And then John's commentary here at the end is is telling and, and fascinating. John says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. (laughs) So think about what Jesus has just said, right? Uh, The the sheep know the shepherd's voice, and they'll follow a shepherd, they'll follow their own shepherd, but they will not follow a stranger. And John follows that up by saying, uh, and the Pharisees didn't understand what Jesus was saying. (laughs) In other words, they don't know the voice of the shepherd. And, and that line, uh, I think if we're willing to, to allow it to do so, that line not only speaks a lot about what the Pharisees are doing and who the Pharisees are, but it also has the capacity to step on our toes if we're willing to sit with it for a little bit. Because I think what it, it exposes about the shepherds is, I mean, what it exposes about the Pharisees is that it's really easy to miss someone calling you a thief and a robber if you picture yourself in the role of the shepherd. <laughs> uh, as someone once said, no one sees themselves as the villain in their own story, right? I can easily justify my motivations, the things that I'm doing, my perspective, my actions, my words. And so I think if we're, if we're willing to sit with this, again, it becomes some, something that can, that can cause us to look inwardly instead of just kind of exposing who the Pharisees are. Uh, because if we are willing to, to look at ourselves, I, I think this, this, this passage has some things that we might could ask of ourselves. Uh, what if we looked at, at the story of John 9 and asked ourselves if we, ever ask, if we ever act like the Pharisees? Or what if we asked if there are places in our lives where we act selfishly or, or fearfully like the parents? Or if we carry the perspective of the disciples at the beginning of the story, which bleeds into a a flawed understanding and perception of of righteousness and unrighteousness. Uh, Like it may be easy to picture ourselves in the role of the blind man here who was blind and now he can see. But perhaps there are other questions that we could ask ourselves as well. Would we see some things a little differently? Would Would we expose some things about our own perspectives and attitudes? And yes, I hope that we do see ourselves in the role of of a man who is given sight by Jesus. But let's recognize that that may mean wading through our Pharisee-like tendencies, our fearful hang-ups, and our skewed perspectives on the way to boldly proclaiming our story of blindness turned to sight. So, back to the Pharisees now, who again, just don't seem to get it. And so Jesus has to keep going. So John says, therefore, Jesus said again. In other words, all right, you didn't get it the first time. Let me rephrase some of this and go over some of this a second time. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so, once again, the way that he describes the actions of, of thieves and robbers seems to fall in line not only with the, the, the role of the shepherds in Ezekiel 34, but lines up a lot with what we read about in John 9. And in contrast to that, in referring to himself as the gate or the door, Jesus positions positions himself as the means by which his sheep find safety and salvation in the sheepfold and the means by which his sheep find peace and sustainment in the pasture. And his claim to be the door and later to be the good shepherd are both rooted in his desire and his willingness and his ability to put the needs of the sheep above even his own needs. They, they set him in stark contrast to the other religious leaders of the day. And his words here reverberate in, in a later statement when he declares that no one comes to the Father except through me. And so repeatedly, especially in John's gospel, we have this idea that our salvation is found Solely in Jesus, through whom his spirit is given to us as, as a deposit that serves as a guarantor of what is to come. But the door doesn't just keep the sheep in the sheepfold. It, it opens up to the pasture. And so in Jesus, we are also sent out into places where we find sustainment and fulfillment and purpose It's not just about staying in the shelter of the sheepfold, but but about having life to the full in the name of Jesus and and being able to to bring about both salvation and significance in Christ. To read it as one translation understands Jesus' words, to enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. But I also think there's one more bit of encouragement that we find in Jesus' claim here. Uh, Remember in in John 9 that the Pharisees have very much set themselves up in the role of gatekeeper. Uh, The Pharisees see that as their role and and everyone else has kind of uh, basically either given them that authority or allowed them to assume that authority in the community. And so they are attempting to control or restrict access to the synagogue, which again was this place of of social connection and and worship. And Jesus says, okay, you want want to play gatekeeper? That's okay. (laughs) I can do you one better. I am the gate. (laughs) I am the door. I am the gate itself. I am the one that people are coming in and out of. I am the one through whom people have access to all of these things. And whoever, he says, enters through me will be saved. Uh, And I think that we rightly put a lot of emphasis on the saved part of that sentence that whoever enters through me will be saved. Uh, And that is certainly not part of the the sentence that we we shouldn't discount that part of the sentence. And and again, throughout the Gospels, and especially in John's Gospels, uh, Jesus makes some pretty bold and audacious claims about himself, right? He says, you can't come to the Father except through me. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. Uh, These are are bold claims, and, and they fit around this imagery of Jesus as a door and a portal through which we enter into the saving grace of the Father. But this sentence, whoever enters through me shall be saved, I wonder, could that sentence also be read with an emphasis on the word, whoever? Whoever enters through me will be saved. The King James translates that as, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Uh, I wonder how the Pharisees who just kicked a man out of the synagogue heard that. Uh, We know they didn't understand everything that happened. But did something click there when he said that? Uh, could this just as easily be a statement about the inclusivity of who is invited to the saving work of Jesus as it is a statement about the seemingly exclusive nature of how one is saved? So again, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And so to those who want, the sh- who want to shut the door on people who challenge the status quo... To those who want to shut the door on people who speak the truth of their own experience, even if it differs from the experience of those in power. To those who want to shut the door on people who are willing to share about the work of Jesus in their own life, even if it pushes the boundaries of what is expected or accepted in their own community. Jesus says, I am the door. And whoever enters through me will be saved. They will go in, they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so may those of us who have ever felt excluded or unworthy or lost or forgotten or pushed aside or shut out, Find comfort today in the word, whoever. Jesus, our door, stands ready to welcome each of us into the salvation of the sheepfold and to the peace of the pasture. So we're going to pray our prayer of confession now this morning and then share in a time of communion and reflection as we remember the saving work of Jesus and proclaim his death and resurrection and as we do so, may we consider how we too have died to ourselves in order to be raised to life in the Spirit, that we have gone through the door, which is Christ, so that we can experience life to the full. And so may our time in communion this morning, may, may it be a reminder of those things. May it be a reminder of of the foretaste of life to the full that we experience in times of worship, that we experience around the table in communion, that we experience in Christian community, so that we may go out into our lives this week with the peace, with the strength, with the, the purpose instilled within us through Christ, who is our Savior, who is our Messiah, and who is our door into everlasting life. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, Paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen.